0: Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show.
1: You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast on Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thank you for doing that. We really appreciate it. Do tell your friends about us. Do rate us. We have a wonderful guest, and I say that even before we've interviewed her because she's going to talk about a favorite subject of mine. That is Parkinson's disease and ping pong. But before I get to that, I should tell you that I play ping pong every Saturday with 95-year-old co-author of the latest book I wrote, The Great Age Reboot, co-authored with Albert Ratner. Albert Ratner, as I said, is 95. He went to college on a basketball scholarship so you know he's one at that and coordination and he is competitive as heck he'd almost rather eat the table than lose a point. In starting to to play ping-pong about five years ago which is really the genesis of the Great Age Reboot book he started to ask me what's happening in my field of longevity I started to ask him what's happening in his field he is a developer and demographer. He in, in New York City, Dr. Clare, he did build a Barclay Place and bought the New Jersey Nets almost solely so they could build a Barclay Place. And he's redeveloped Stapleton Airport, etc. Done a lot of low income as well as other buildings and uh, was the CEO of that Company or the co-CEO till he was over 88 years old, and then chair of the board until it got sold a couple years ago. So ping pong is good for longevity in general, and for your brain. And we are talking to Dr. Elena Clar, C-L-A-R, a very highly trained neurologist who specializes in movement disorders such as Parkinson's. Her website or the website where she is associated with is njbrainspine.com. She was magna cum laude at UC Irvine before she was at New York Medical College and now obviously at NJ Brain Spine. So how did you get interested in this field so early? Because it was a field that we didn't think we could do much in.
0: I think I always knew that I would head into neurology for personal reasons, but ultimately found my way doing movement disorders just because I had phenomenal mentors when I was doing my residency at Georgetown and they had a very big movement disorder department and I had a lot of exposure to cutting edge research and things that were going on in terms of clinical trials using off-label drugs and new surgical interventions. And that really picked my interest, and it's it's been a continuing journey since.
1: It is so interesting that we are so affected by mentors all along, and I assume in your role in teaching and in working with Parkinson's patients there are students of yours who will be who have been motivated by you or caregivers who have been motivated by you to do more.
0: We certainly try to do our part in in educating the community at large both you know from the professional side and the patient side because there is a lot of work that still has yet to be done a lot of underutilized resources a lot of great teams that are really involved in the multidisciplinary efforts of caring for parkinson's patients so yeah no rest for the no rest for the weary
1: and and tell me about how did you get involved in you really developed ping pong for parkinson's patients there have been people who have developed fast cycling and people who have developed boxing but ping pong parkinsonism is really your something you developed and we have to thank you for so how did you get involved in that
0: i certainly can't take all the credit because the original the, the original organization was developed by my good friend who also happens to have Parkinson's, um, Nenad Bach, and he's actually a very famous professional musician from hailing from Croatia who used to play with Pavarotti and met Princess Diana and all sorts of heads of state. And after he got diagnosed with Parkinson's and found that his dexterity changed and he could no longer play the guitar the way that he used to, he really thought all hope was lost until he stumbled upon friends who invited him out to play ping pong. And he noticed that after a vigorous session of playing, he realized that his dexterity, at least transiently, improved in a way that the medications had not addressed. And so he felt like, you know, a light bulb moment that if he could continue to do this regularly that it would, in fact, improve his dexterity over the long run. And in fact, it did within six months of regular competitive play. He not only improved a skill set, but actually was able to get back to playing his guitar. I mean, and he is a Croatian American rock star. (laughs) So, so he, he really was the one that stumbled upon this and decided to make this a, a passion project that he wanted to share with the world. So he established the first chapter of Ping Pong Parkinson, as we know it, which is in fact a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And the headquarters are in New York, in Westchester. And because of his connections internationally, Ping Pong Parkinson actually grew internationally first before it started to grow here locally in the tri state area and then we hope next nationally. But there are there are over twenty two chapters around the world, over a thousand members. Germany actually has the most number of chapters, and I believe that's where they're going to establish the international headquarters next. But the organization has grown so large since since its establishment in twenty sixteen that there are now international competitions that are hosted. One was already done in Europe, one was in Japan, one was here in New York, and they recently had one actually in Pula, Croatia. And the idea is just to continue recruiting more patients and have more awareness about this phenomenal activity because it can give such meaningful change for patients. And I was simply involved, you know, in finding out about it. I was simply involved in establishing my local New Jersey chapter. And and that's what I've been trying to continue to grow.
1: Now, let me ask you a little more. Has this been compared with the other motor skill games? Boxing is known to help slow the risk of Parkinson's disease, and I also think that cycling has, fast cycling, has been studied uh, greatly in this field. What do we know about doing all three together? What do we know about any one versus the other?
0: So there there are no head-to-head comparisons for ping-pong or for boxing or for intense cycling. I think the one thing that can indisputably be said is that regardless of what type of workout a patient does, size, intense exercise improves brain health and viability. There's so much evidence about exercise releasing factors that are important for neural function and increasing antioxidants that are important for resistance against toxins. And, you know, from a practical standpoint, there is also robust evidence showing that exercise improves the symptoms of many neurodegenerative diseases. But the reason it's particularly important in Parkinson's is because it is a condition that by definition slows people down and stiffens up their muscles. And the antithesis to that is moving. It's exercise. So while any form of exercise is beneficial, the most important thing is that the intensity of it and the ability to challenge new muscles and and wake up different parts of the body is really what's key.
1: Now, let's drop back a little bit so that our listeners know the genesis of Parkinson's disease is thought to be, why don't you describe what, what we think it is and what happens with this muscle activity to improve it?
0: Right. So, you know, we, we don't know the exact cause of Parkinson's. In fact, it's probably more than one cause because we now understand after recognizing what this syndrome is for 200 years, understanding Parkinson's, it's not just one condition or one disease. It's a spectrum of different diseases. It's a syndrome that encompasses not only changes To somebody's mobility, but there are also non motor symptoms. So things that impact one's mood, one's cognition. So other parts of the body can certainly be impacted. And while we don't know the cause, one thing that everybody agrees upon is that the genesis of the symptoms has to do with the brain stopping production of a chemical called dopamine. And dopamine is a chemical that's critical not only for. Movement, But again, for one's energy, one's mood, one's mental acuity. So when dopamine production stops, it just causes this domino effect where um, the motor circuit starts to get glitchy and other neurotransmitters or chemicals in the brain are impacted. And so everything just goes awry
1: and one of the the things that happens at least with cycling in the animal model and i assume it's with ping pong and boxing too is in a certain percentage of people they start to regrow dopaminergic neurons that is the biochemistry is such of turning on genes when you exercise those specific pathways that you actually regrow some of the dopaminergic neurons. Has that been shown in ping pong as well?
0: I think, you know, there hasn't been as much literature about ping pong specifically. Again, only a few studies have so far come out of Japan simply showing the ability for motor scores on the United Parkinson disease rating scale to improve when people regularly play and have everything else standardized, you know, with their care and they they are playing ping pong regularly and they're being assessed by a movement neurologist six months out, twelve months out. So there hasn't been the same robust Literature for ping pong as there has been for cycling or boxing, but I am certain that the principles, the same principles, still apply. Anytime you are doing intense, challenging exercise, it increases neurotrophic factors. We know that. And as you said, you know, that is inherently going to promote the growth and survival of brain cells, including the ones that produce dopamine. So I think that it the the exciting thing about ping pong is that now that it's starting to gather some momentum, we I think are on the cusp of being able to to create a more formal study to be able to establish these kinds of relationships and analyze this kind of data more closely.
1: I should also say that w- and ask about a lot of the disease of Parkinson's was thought in the 50s and 60s to a rise subsequent to the swine flu of the 1917 to 19, as I understand it. And I don't know if that's true or not, or a rumor, but one, can you clarify that? And two, is there a fear that this um, COVID, which seems to affect a similar group of neurons, will also cause a increase in Parkinson's disease?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that there has been some of that concern specifically because COVID, at least certainly with the original strains, was causing a loss of smell and taste. And we do consider those non-motor symptoms to be some of the prodromal red flags that might predate the emergence of motor symptoms later on for people who ultimately develop Parkinson's. But right now, we just don't have enough information regarding COVID to understand if that actually does pose an increased risk for development of Parkinson's later on because, because of the olfactory nerves being involved. What I can say is that one of the leading theories, and again, there are probably multiple causes behind the picture that is Parkinson's as we know it, but one of the dominant theories has to do with Parkinson's that starts in the gut. It's called the BRAC hypothesis. And the idea is that whatever abnormal changes occur ultimately travel up the vagus nerve in this retrograde fashion up the brainstem and then subsequently impact those smelling centers and the deepest parts of the brain before traveling higher up to the basal ganglia and the cortex. That's, you know, when people start to become aware of their motor symptoms. So it's not just smell or change in taste. I mean, the most common non-motor symptoms that research has shown can predate motor symptoms in Parkinson's are things like constipation, difficulty sleeping. There's a sleeping disorder specifically called RBD or run sleep behavior disorder. There was actually just an article put out about Alan Alda experiencing RBD for many years prior to being diagnosed with Parkinson's, difficulty smelling, of course. Sometimes it's just a matter of suddenly becoming anxious or depressed. So it could be a whole slew of different, a variety of different symptoms. So it's hard to say, you know, how significant the lack of smell is and what relationship COVID might have. I think only time will tell.
1: We've been talking with Dr. Elena Coyer, a board-certified neurologist specializing in Parkinson's and movement disorders at the NJ brainspine.com center. Where are you located, Dr. Clark?
0: Our office is located in Oradell and Hackensack, New Jersey.
1: And obviously, you'll take calls from any place. A true expert in movement disorders, not just Parkinson's, as you could tell. Thank you very much for shedding so much light on it and helping us and also for spreading the ping-pong Parkinson's. I don't know if you do have it, but in our waiting room here at the Wellness Center at the Cleveland Clinic, we actually have a ping-pong table. Not for this reason, but maybe it would be good for this reason. Do you have a ping-pong table in your <laughs> waiting room? That's a great
0: idea. No, but I'm going to bring that one up to our practice manager. <laughs>
1: Good. In any case, thanks very much. Caitlin, thank you for great engineering. We, of course, are brought to you, as usual, by greatagereboot.com where you can get our app Reboot Your Age so that you can stay younger for when there is a true cure for Parkinson's. Hopefully there will be. And also by lifeversenaturals.com the makers of both bovine colostrum, and True Biotics, something that can help you stay younger for longer. Maybe not um, once you have had no strong advantage for Parkinson's, but has a strong advantage for wellness in general. Dr. Klaher, thank you very much. Caitlin, thank you. We'll be back next week. This has been 1134B. The Bs of You, the Owner's Manual, are always great guests like Dr. Klaher. The A's... That's right, the latest medical news of the week and what it means to you. Thank you again, and thank you for downloading us. That's what keeps us motivated.